All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and I'm bringing you yet another fabulous webinar. Um, just a reminder, you can find all of my webinars on my Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. Um, I've had some amazing guests. I've been doing webinars now for two months, and I have guests lined up all the way through the middle of June, and I'm going to pretty much see if I can't book out the month of June. After that, I'm really hoping I can keep these webinars going, um, but probably not quite as frequent once we all start moving about again. Um, but it's just been really fabulous. And uh, today my guest is Becky Ten... Uh-oh, I knew I was gonna... Bessie, Becky Tengent, Tengent? No. Sorry, Tengent. Becky. No, it's okay. I practiced. It's one of those many ways we can epically fail by messing people's names up, but it doesn't matter. Thank you so much. All right. I'll let you say your name. And um, if you could just give us a brief intro, a little bio about your background. I know that um, you've done a lot of things. And so just to give people an idea who have never met you a little bit about who you are and how you got here. Sure. It might, um, is it okay if I share my screen? Because I do have that on there. I don't want to go through the whole thing, but you know, yeah. people can just sort of look at it. Is that okay? Yeah. But before we do that, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on your list. And I just really appreciate the opportunity to be able to come and talk to everybody out there on live or later. And so um, anyway, I just am honored that you've invited me. Oh, it's really fun. Okay. So we did that part already. Um, we're going to talk about the Masterson method. And then at the end, I'll pivot and talk about um, Surefoot pads because I do use them in my practice. So um, just by way of background, my journey as a body worker started when we had a new farrier for this horse, actually. Um, and he was not working with mine. He worked with the next horse. And then as that horse walked in, um, he made a statement and then he asked a question. He said, she looks like she's got feet from four different mothers. And um, I can help her with her feet, but unless somebody helps her with, my, with her body, my work's going to be ineffective. And then he asked, have you got a good body worker around here? And so that uh, exchange with him really touched off not only my journey to learn the Masterson method, but a crazy passion for education and learning. And all this stuff over here are the things that I have um, pursued in terms of certification and this stuff over here. Um, uh, the continuing education and um, I, I just uh, I love it I love learning and it's really all about the horse and helping you know Butler. yes I adore her um, I spent gosh almost 10 days with her uh, four different classes and then in between their uh, dissection done by Sharon May Davis um, oh, so uh, Dr. Butler is doing a study using surefoot pads um, I met yeah. her in when I was over in Australia and we sat down and kind of talked about the, the uh, experiment. That's one of the things that I just feel so blessed by. I now have, you know, friends and colleagues all over the world and it's just so fun um, how we all get to know one another. So I don't need to spend a whole lot of time talking about myself, but um, really the point is the horses and, and learning about uh, different um, modalities and uh, more about anatomy and fascia and, you know, things that can help us, help me to try to be a little bit smarter in my brain so I can have a little bit smarter fingers um, and hands to help the horses. So that's enough about me. Um, so do you I, I just have a question. How long yeah. have you been doing what you're doing? Uh, so uh, this journey started in 2011 and um, before that, I was an investment banker and I worked in New York and 
uh, that trade that lots of people probably don't like, but um, I did that. And then, um, and then I spent quite a long time uh, as a banker here, investment banker here in Milwaukee, which is where I presently live, ish, Milwaukee-ish. And um, yeah, so that was my former professional background. I think I'm on profession number, I don't know, four or something. Um, in the middle there was a professional mom and all that came with being a, uh, the, the primary job of, of being a mom. And I got back to horses actually um, for one of my, one of our daughters um, who I just really felt the, um, the help that equine assisted therapy could give her um, would be uh, powerful for her. And then, you know, one thing led to another and we then for my other daughter, we bought a whole, you know, lessons and then you're supposed to half lease and then you're supposed to buy and you know how that goes. So we, uh, we bought a horse and that horse that was staring at my feet about four months after we bought him, it was like, "Hmm, are you lame? I think you're lame. Um, (laughs) That's how it goes. (laughs) Did you have horses as a kid? I did actually. Um, I grew up, um, my dad, my stepdad entered our life when I was five and he was a farrier. So I've been on the, uh, the head end of uh, thousands of horses. Um, uh, he was a farrier. Um, and, um, and then my parents had a horse ranch. Uh, they bred Arabian horses at the peak. They had 110 horses. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I really had a very good notion, I thought, about um, horses, and I did from a big, big picture, stand back, herd perspective. Sort of like when you look at the forest, you think you understand the forest until so you go look at the bark, and you understand there's a whole ecosystem there. And I got to tell you, that's really what happened. That first Masterson class that I went to, um, I really thought I knew. You know, it's just amazing how we can know all kinds of things and be ignorant about all kinds of other things. And um, I learned and continue to learn so much. But um, yeah, so I grew up with horses road horses um anyway yeah so so how did you how did you get to your first masterson method course it really was that horse and that farrier when he oh, okay. when he asked that question uh, having been all around horses i'm like what are you talking about I, I had really honestly no idea what he was talking about so that was in 2010 and he asked me if there was a good equine body worker i'm like i don't even know what you're saying and he's like you know massage horses i'm like no. <laughs> so I, went, I went home that night and I looked it up and there was a school in Colorado and my kids were little. I'm like, well, that's not an option. And, um, and at the time, Jim uh, Masterson had a number of videos. He was just really beginning. Um, okay, the dog's standing up. Sorry. Uh, he was really just beginning uh, the process to create the education in the school. Sorry, I have to here. I'll okay. turn it around so perhaps you can see her. Um, Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, yeah, so um, it turned out that was probably August 15th when I looked, and um, uh, it turned out he was going to be teaching a weekend class the next weekend. So I went to the barn with my daughter where I went every day and stood around like lurch, you know, how we moms do when we drag our, you know, we, we haul our daughters to their passion. Um, and I asked her trainer, I'm like, well, what would you think if I got training and certified as a body worker and she about grabbed my shoulders and said yes Um, (laughs) so uh i went to the weekend course i don't know four days later and um there is continues to be a requirement but at that time there was an uh 
guideline or a recommendation that you wait between the foundation weekend course and the advanced five day course. Well, I'm, you know, you and I don't know each other a whole lot, but I don't really I already know. know. <laughs> if yeah. you're 10 years where you are, I already know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't do waiting. Yeah. Um, especially if I know I'm equipped. If I'm not equipped, I won't barge through. But I, but I knew I was equipped and I have this crazy capacity to do and learn and consume. And um, so I asked pretty please if I could um, not only go to the weekend, but then the following day, Monday, could I please start the five days? So that's what I did. And um, I finished my certification in, I can't remember if it was seven months or nine months, but it, anyway, it was ridiculously short because, you know, right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that, you know, to your credit and pretty amazing that in 10 years you, you are where you are. But um, definitely, I, I, having not met you before, I can tell that we have a similar personality of drive. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, we're going to make it happen one way or the other. So it's great, great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want, so, me to, you want me to proceed? Yeah, just tell us about this slide you've got up and we'll go from there, okay? Yeah, I thought it was really important to kind of start this talk just by, um, I don't know how many of y'all know about the Masterson Method, but you know, like anything else, there's things that something is and things that something is not. And so um, the Masterson Method of, um, of body work, equine body work is non-invasive. And um, it's a method of working with the horse's body that's really aimed at producing wellness and improving performance, but in the healthy horse. It is not a replacement for veterinary assessment, intervention, or treatment of any injury or medical condition because we're working with the healthy horse. So, um, you know, it's the disclaimer, veterinarians should be consulted before choosing or doing any therapy. So that's what that's about. Um, so, you know, the elevator speech that we give is that it's, um, it's an interactive method of body work where we learn to recognize and use the responses of the horse to our touch and to our request for movement so that we can find and release accumulated tension in key junctions of the body that most affect performance. And um, what, we, what we know is that, that uh, the horse's body, just like he, any other living being's body, accumulates tension, and and it's really about results and performance. And so, um, you know, you have complications that relate to tension, suppleness, leg movements compromised. Really, when there is restriction anywhere in the axial or appendicular skeleton, um, when that happens, then joint range of motion becomes restricted, and, and tissues, whether near or far, become tighter impaired. Um, and so, um, you know, on a minute scale, that means that fascia that's supposed to be have a frictionless glide becomes sticky and it has a slide which has friction and, um, and that's not healthy. And so that can impede your performance, whether you're, you know, going out for a pleasure ride or you're looking to leap tall things. Um, and, um, and then another, you know, basic example is the muscle, muscles, you know, they have a, they should have a natural ability to, to um, slide and then also fully contract and, and relax. And so, you know, the, the, the problem of tension is difficult and, um, you know, the sources of tension are myriad, but, but, you know, the, the, the big three are tack teeth and toes. Um, and then, you know, injuries and confirmation and, 
then we can get down to riders and what they can do, you know, hands or balance or size, or even if someone is driving, you know, the, again, their hands. Um, uh, the, the human themselves, if you're gonna put them on top of the horse's back, the, the rider body can have injuries or imbalances. Um, and so y'all can see the list, but you know, the bottom line is that um, there are inputs, whether external or internal, that um, will manifest as pain uh, or tension. So this green zone here, we can see that this is where the girth goes. This saddle has been placed where the anatomical um, happy zone of the horse correlates with the anatomical architecture of the saddle. So when you place the saddle on and you say, well, where do you wanna go? And you go like that, it says, I want to go here. Well, look at where these billets are. So the billets are at the red and the, and the, the, hap, the, the girth zone is in the green. So when you put that saddle on and then girth it up and get going, guess what? This is gonna go that away. Whoops. Oops. <laughs> and when that goes that away, that's gonna create impeding. I've got some pictures I'll show you a little while. But so we can have tack issues, we can have teeth issues. You can see right here that, you know, we have a little bit of a mismatch between the middle of the top and the middle of the bottom. Um, we can have um, hoof issues. Martina, Dr. Um, Dr. Martina was here two weeks ago and talked about the connection connectivity between hooves and body tension. And so here we can see that there's a, a, a medial lateral imbalance. Look at here, look at that's like short, that's like low. Um, we have issues from, from foot to foot. We have a little bit here and a lot of bit there. Um, and then we can have riders who are like, what is that? You know, higgledy-piggledy. And that, you know, it's not me, but it could be me. <laughs> and so, um, you know, these things are going to manifest. You know, when you were a kid, did you ever get in your pool and have somebody sit and, you know, play chicken and have somebody on your back? And when the, when the top person goes like that, then the bottom person has to go, whoa, you know, <laughs> if you're leaning that way, then I got to like, whoa, I got to get you. And so, um, you know, all kinds of factors go into uh, creating tension and so even if we just look at saddle a poorly fitting saddle is going to radiate tension it's going to cause pain it's going to cause restrictive movement inverted posture it might have a high head carriage there's going to be performance challenges problems and then you know the poor horse is going to get blamed for behavior issues when really all they're doing is saying dude I hurt so um, here's a really you know just quick example don't you love that back it's gorgeous it's gorgeous. This horse had, I don't know what is out of my life. It was a client horse. And, you know, the French philosopher said, if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. So the question is, was he right? Is this a healthy back? Well, you get to see because I'm a thermographer. This is oh, cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> a healthy back. It is a screaming back. Yeah. And that horse had, um, a very sort of pogo stick gait. Um, it, it was really tough. His performance was tough. When you when the owner went to saddle him, a lovely lady, she'd go to saddle him, and this really kind horse was like a stinking alligator. Um, and and um, and so this this results in this. So that saddle had um, well, what we can you can see, you know, this is heat this is cool so you get a color map the thermal imaging the a thermal image simply converts 
um, heat patterns to a visual image and it uses color to do that. So if it's this color, it's really hot. If it's that color, it's really not. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything unless it's outside of what we would expect and what the norm is. So we can see white, 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 white. We can see almost no color right here. So we have bridging in the middle. We have panels that are too narrow or tight and forward. They're just, that, they're just like what I showed you in that image before, where you put the saddle on where it belongs, you girth it up and then it wombs forward. And it's complicated by this saddle because it's too narrow. So again, we can see the white here. Um, we can see uh, back here that the contact is too great on the sides and it's too little on the insides because we don't have a uniform heat register. That ought to be, you know, it's kind of like skis, you know, the idea of the panel of the saddle is that it, that it makes really sort of, you know, even contact and it disperses the weight on a, on a horizontal plane from the perpendicular plane of the rider's weight. And it, and it ought to do that e evenly, uniformly, and without impingement, which is not what we see here. Um, so I just wanted to show you that, and you know, the horse um, poorly fitting tack, just taking that one topic, in horse speak, fit masquerades, fit issues, masquerade as behavior, soundness, or performance issue. And, um, and it, it can be hard to, Discern and you know one of the there's so many gifts that I was given by that statement and question by Scott Lampert the farrier But 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 the, the, the highest and first among them is that it really takes a it, it, it takes a committee and we each um, each equine professional and specialist um, Is needed certainly you need the, the your veterinarian and and the farrier but but we all can come to and, and bring benefits to the horse and with the Masterson method, what we really do is we learn to have a conversation and we give voice to the horse. And um, we learn to ask questions of the body in search of tension while staying under the horse's inclination to brace. And so we listen and we do it with our eyes and our hands. And this is Jim, the guy that came up with this method of body work and, um, and one of the tenets of of what he developed is that we are in a conversation and and the horse gets a voice and I know that that is really similar with Sherpa pads and um, there's there are many symmetries that I see and I'll talk more about that as we go but um, we really work with the horse not on the horse and and we have different levels of touch I'll talk more about that and um, and and we create opportunity for tensions above to rest and we really are um, here, what he's doing is he has found where this limb's comfort zone is, and then he's just resting. He's taken over the job of all the tissues above. Well, so therefore, they don't have to do what they were doing, and they can just rest and relax. And so we could just sort of imagine, and I'll do it later, that instead of that hand, it was a sure foot pad. And so again, there's similarities between, you know, what we do and what you have invented, which is amazing. Um, so attributes of the Masterson method, again, I, I said it already, well, you know, here are sort of four big principles. It's interactive, it's integrated, it's practical and hands-on, and it's results-oriented. So, you know, interactive, it's a relationship and it's a conversation. It's something we do with the horse. 
Um, and it's integrated in a variety of ways, but one of the really cool things is that um, this, this uh, conversation that we have and we teach others who are interested how to have is, um, is really, uh, it's obviously not a spoken verbal human conversation. It's really conversing in horse speak and horse language. And we learn to make a correlation between our presence and our touch and questions we ask with the responses that the horse's body makes. There is a direct correlation. And that, um, that tool of training your ears and your eyes to understand what is being spoken. Um, I use it all the time when I'm going and learning another modality. For example, when I was, when I was getting my training and certification, just to be like blunt, and if y'all from Photonic Health are listening, here's my secret. Um, you know, what, that was the first time I was exposed um, really on a minute level to um, the, uh, the meridians and, and the, um, you know, all the, the little acupressure points, which, you know, I tend to, I've gotten a lot of training. And when I first show up, I'm like, shut up, that doesn't work. And that was true um, with the master's in method. I'm like, shit, that's just ridiculous. That doesn't work. Well, guess what? It all works. Um, I'm much more open-minded at this point in my life journey than I was when I started the master's in method. But, uh, but what I would do when I didn't know exactly where um, all the acupressure points were is I'm like, well, it's kind of right there. And so then I would look at the horse for what I knew to look for that I learned in the master's in method. And I'm like, well, y'all just tell me where it is because I know when your body's going to tell me and y'all will just tell me because I, I haven't memorized where these parts are, but I know it's about, okay, good, right there. Um, so it integrates super well with other modalities and, and these skills and, um, and knowledge that we gain um, through the Masterson Method, we can totally use with other modalities, including with surefoot pads. Um, so it's really practical and hands-on. and and the horse's body and their behaviors um, really demonstrate the results of this touch and response. And, and when you learn those principles, like boom, you know, you can, you, as soon as we tell you how to do it, you can just go practice it. Um, I talked a little bit already about the fact that it's results oriented and, you know, it's really real time. It's like, it's really instant. And you know that. I know I've listened to you a number of times and seen you and watched the videos and it's, it's super fun. Um, you know, one of the most interesting things when you learn to have a conversation is they are actually speaking. Sometimes they're screaming and we were just boneheads. We didn't know, you know, we like called them out like they were a dumb bicycle and thought we'd just go do what we were going to do. And, you know, when the bicycle started bucking, we got all pissed off. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you engage in a conversation, it's kind of shocking and really humbling and sometimes a little scary. Um, that, uh, but, but mostly it's just super rewarding and, and, and it increases, you know, a bond, a bond. Okay, I trust. have to interject and ask you a question. Where yeah. did you grow up? I grew up in California. Oh, okay. <laughs> what, I, well, because I'm East coast, but you, you, we have a similar converse, you know, way of talking and kind of see, I love it. It's great for me. Um, <laughs> And directness, yeah. that's a very New England characteristic. <laughs> yeah, well, I have, um, you know, I have, among the things I've really learned as, as how, to, um, how to listen and be quiet and become soft with horses, um, but that's perhaps in part because I'm completely respectful that they could throw my ass around like in a nanosecond. I got to admit and just be perfectly blunt that I am like way back the line on learning how to do this with humans. So this whole directness, 
Um, you know, a lot of people don't appreciate it, but I love that you do. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, among the gifts that, that, Jim, that Jim has sort of pulled the curtain back on is, um, is how to tie together the, our touch and our presence um, with the visual responses and releases that the horse has. So that's another kind of result. And, but, but then, um, you know, Jim came to this and started it when he was working on the East Coast for a big hunter jumper program. And, um, and it was about performance, you know, he was on the payroll. And so when he began learning how to do this, it wasn't just, it was fun, but it wasn't just for fun. It really needed to um, get right to the point and it needed to improve performance. It needed to improve suppleness and mobility and comfort and behavior. Um, and so um, when we talk about results, this is a horse client of mine and, um, and, and we really are in a search. Uh, I often, kind of, I think in pictures and, so I think about um, uh, using a metal detector on the beach and, and, you know, I could run or that wouldn't be so effective because I'd run my past or I might not hear or whatever, or I could, you know, so it's sort of like the Goldilocks, you know, you can't go too slow and you can't go too fast, but you got to go just right. And, um, and you have to learn where to look and how to see and how to know. But this particular horse was so interesting and I wanted to document because he was kind of wonky. Um, his feet were completely a hundred percent square. So I would, I got his feet square front and back. And then I was at the front and I said, put your face right here. And then I'm on a ladder up here and, uh, you know, mounting step stool. And so I'd get his face straight and I'd run around here and I, and I get up behind him and I'm like, dang it. And so then I come back down because his head was over here before I took the picture. And I, and I did that three times and I had, he didn't move his feet and I pulled his head back and I ran up here and I tried to take a picture and his head was back over there. And by the third time, I'm like, oh, right, got it. <laughs> you can't stand with your head face forward. Got it. So I took the picture. And then I worked with him for an hour and 20 minutes. And I'm like, okay. I was not a believer, really, but at this point in my, in my Masterson journey. And, um, but I could see that he was wonky and he has these, you know, way big, uh, wither pockets and you know he's wonky here he's pretty straight kind of ish right here um and then after an hour and 20 minutes i really seriously i was i i cried i cried because he's standing in i'll cry right now you know I, I mean how do you spend an hour and 20 minutes with your hand on a creature and suddenly look at look at even look at his ears yeah. look at the tension look at the tension in his neck uh look look at the wither pockets which aren't it was remarkable. Um, the trainer uh, the next day rode the horse and um, she, hadn't, she hadn't told me anything about the horse before I worked on it um, with it. Uh, but the next day, um, the, at the end of the session, she's like, oh my gosh, this horse is, he's lovely and he's amazing and he jumps like Superman, but dang, if I have to go from a right, uh, well, she, she would going left from a left canter lead and then do a flying lead take change to the right. She's like, seriously, I mean, I got to hold them together. I got to push them in. It's like, it, uh, it is like a workout. And, um, and the next day it was, it, it, it was like cut and butter. It, it was amazing. And, so Dr. Um, Molly has a question for you on that picture. Yes, ma'am. Dr. Molly, how are you? <laughs> she says, great how the horse gets his straightness back, but don't you feel there's a rotation of the withers to the left? What do you think about that? And did it change later? Um, there is a rotation. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a rotation or a, a weighting issue. 
Um, and he's standing heavier on his left front than his right. At this point in my life, I didn't have surefoot pads, so that would have been super cool <laughs> that would have been to cool. be able to stick them um, under his feet and see whether he was waiting to the left or not. Um, there's a picture we're going to come to later where I show a depiction of the thoracic sling. Um, you know, it could be that we have a whole thorax. Um, it, I think about the, the, the thorax um, like a Viking ship. And so, you know, if this, if this is the bottom down here, the bottom of our ship, it could be like that. And if the Viking ship thorax is like that, then what's, and so the, the bottom, where's my pointer? The, so the, the thorax, we're talking side. about the rib cage and the sternum. And yeah, the, and, and right. the ribs and, and what's, come, what's coming out of, of the, um, the thoracic vertebra are our dorsal spinous processes, which are like right there. So yeah. what happens if that whole thing is like that? And, and what we have is the bottom of the ship, the bottom of the, where's my pointer? The thoracic sling pointed that away and the top pointed that away. Um, I also didn't have knowledge I have now that I didn't have then because if I'd have looked at that, I'd have said, well, what the heck is that? I mean, we've made a ridiculous progress, but let me see what else I can do. Because now I know there's some things I can, I can, I can question questions I can ask of the tissues of the body um, to say, well, if y'all are like tilted that away, what happens if I ask you to tilt that away? We'll, we'll just straighten out. So, and is that bright I, spot on the left side of his wither just a bright spot or is, was it a white patch? Yeah. I can't recall. Okay. Um, but it really stands out in both pictures. That's why I was wondering. This one, it's bigger and it's shiny and, and whoops, the sun was, you know, flying in. Um, I can't recall this little one right here. looks like it was, and I don't honestly recall whether or not, uh, but you know, I would look at that and go, well, I can tell you right now, I wish I could get with my thermal imaging camera out because, um, that would appear to be the case that there's, um, there's some white hairs there, but I honestly can't remember. Okay. No problem. So, you know, here's another view, um, that was, a after about an hour of work, and again, we're looking for, uh, we're, we're searching for and attempting to release tension. So this is a little pony, and it looks like he has a conformational dilemma. Um, looks like he stands base narrow and that both back, like really, really a lot in the back and really a lot in the front. And the farrier was here that day, and he was about ready to do his work. And I've said, you know what? Can we possibly put this pony at the end of the list? He's like, I don't care. And I said, okay, well, let's just take a look at what we got. And because he was talking about what he was going to do and how he needed to do the feet, and what he needed to shoes and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, can I please just like have an hour? And he's like, sure, go ahead. <laughs> so we have kind of base narrow in front right here and super base narrow behind. And then I had an hour and look what we had. And we had, that's pretty, that's pretty good improvement between here and there. Oh, I think the back feet are the most impressive. Super profound. Yeah. Super profound. And, um, you know, the fairy's like, what'd you do? I'm like, I'm not telling. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell him that. But Somebody's asking what camera you used for those pictures. Uh, my phone. <laughs> yeah. iPhones today are amazing. I shoot most of my stuff with my iPhone. I have an iPhone Pro. And yeah. This, uh, you know, I, I have my phone, it's kind of an appendage. And so I, I wear these work pants um, with a pocket on oh. my right leg. And oh. you know, when I die, I'm probably gonna have a burned in place on my okay. right they leg. They clarified their question. What thermal camera do you use? Oh, sorry. Uh, it's a big one. Um, I don't remember the three digits that go with it. 
but it's 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 one of those uh, it's one of those five digit numbers in terms Brand? of price. No, <laughs> in terms of price. At five sixty is coming to mind. I can't remember. Okay. Um, but, All right, we, we can find out later. Yeah. Um, so back to the Masterson, you know, method, what we teach in our courses, and there are two-day courses, that's the foundation course, somebody wants to learn more, then they go to an advanced course, which is a five-day course, and, you know, you can be done at the two-day, or you can be done at the five-day, or if you want to get certified, then that's the next step in the process, but um, we teach people how the body speaks, where to look in order to listen, and the art of listening through feel. Um, and then once we learn where to ask the questions and how to listen and how to feel, the body tells us how much presence, pressure, pressure or motion, and when we're asking for range of motion questions, it tells us how much is just right. Um, it tells us where there's discomfort or tension and where it's located. And it tells us when there has been a diminution of tension. I might not be gone all the way, but, but there are things that, whoops, that we know to look for. So really it's a gift of the conversation. And when we inquire and listen to what their body has to say and therefore what they have to say, and we adjust our pressure or non-pressure in accordance with what we hear and what they need, then we achieve not only body improvement and the result we, des we desire in terms of releases, but we also have this super fun gift of a relationship. You know, there are certain horses that you that just stick out in your mind, and this one was one of them. And um, I actually was uh, had a little bit of a crisis before I worked with him um, because I I understood the program he was working in, and I understood that he had his body had done what it needed to do in order for him to endure his life, and I really felt like I wasn't entirely sure that that was nice that I would take away that, uh, that support system. And, um, but I, I, there was an edict I had to work with this horse. And so I put my big girl pennies on him and said, okay, Tony, <laughs> you and I are going to do this thing. And, um, and it was really sobering for me because um, I would have left him in a place which wasn't good. And he came to a place, he was very withdrawn, he was very closed off, he was not communicative, he was either deep inside or way far off. And at the end of our session, um, I, I actually, like if he could have got even closer, he would have. And um, it was just remarkable how, how much he benefited from it, his psyche benefited from it, and his body benefited from it. And, you know, sometimes we can, get into um, tension patterns and restriction patterns, and it's not service, serving us anymore, but it has become habitual. And it's a little bit like a rat on a wheel, and the body's like, okay, this is what I do. This is all I have to do. And what it really would benefit from is somebody like you with your tools, or me with mine, or the vets with theirs, if we just put a stick in the spokes and eject the, the rat. And, and that, is in part, I think, what happened with that horse. So that was a real blessing. Um, you know, as we're working with the Masterson Method where we're looking to find and release tension, the whole foundation of, the, of Jim's uh, method of body work is that we work with the nature of the horse. So they're a herd animal and they seek protection in the herd. They have subtle and not so subtle inter-horse communication. They play follow the leader and they mirror one another. You know, they're either all 
grazing and relaxed or somebody puts their head up and butts their ears up and then what you know like I know what we're listening to but I'm listening to um you know somebody looks and like everybody looks like I know what we're looking at but I'm looking to somebody runs ass and it's like I know what we're running about what I'm running to you know so so they they mirror and they they follow whoever's in charge maybe gradually but anyway um and they have a survival need that depends on the truth the whole truth and nothing but concealment truly concealment and we all know this you know they're a prey animal so they should show no pain they should show no lameness and they should definitely show no sickness and you know i you know i keep telling people because i think it's important for us to realize we do exactly the same thing and we, we actually are prey animals the thing that makes us different is that we can make tools but you know when i take people to africa and safari and you don't have a tool and you're out there horseback amongst the game it's amazing how the perspective shifts but the yeah. whole idea of concealing is something that we all do and um because i think signs of weakness and you see so many people are unable to show signs of weakness to their detriment till they really injure themselves um, yeah. because we're vulnerable and the last yeah. thing horses and people want to be is vulnerable you know yeah we also don't want to feel our shit just to like say a word that we probably shouldn't say you know we could be edited out we could bleeped out but you know we don't want to deal with it we want to avoid it we want to we want to be split off and you know like it'll all be better if i just don't deal with it and that is absolutely true with the horses and um and it's part of what we what we work with um with them you know because they are the ultimate prey animal their first choice is to run um, their second, you know, if that's not an option for them, which mostly it's not when we're with horses, we got a halter, we got a rope, we got, you know, we got all kinds of things we, 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 we tethered them down with, but even then they might run. But if that option is not available, then they're still going to have a physiologic reaction. And that's where you have the brace, the push, the, you know, then we, we have brace, we have brace with action. You know, that's where they push, they kick, they paw, you know, they bite, they whatever. But in any case, they want to guard against intrusion. And it's really, this is the key where we learn in the Masterson Method and we help other people to learn to bypass their guarding by applying different levels of pressure so that we're below the trigger, hmm. which causes us to have to work very oppositely to where we really like to, you know, me in particular, you know, I just want to barge on through and get her done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't work and we have to be under their brace response and so we learn to read the horse's body's response to our touch and there's this process that we use that's a four-step process we search for a response and then we stay and we stay and we stay and we stay until we see a release and so when we're searching we're, we're learning to correlate the body's responses to our presence at some level of touch and then we look for certain things. It's kind of like that metal detector, but it's not an auditory. Dee, 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 dee. What happens is if you run your hand along, you get a visual if you know where to look and how to look. There's a, little, there's a blink, there's a scrunch, their lips will quiver or like really quiver, their breathing will change. And what that tells you, what you learn is how to correlate your search with the body's reaction. And, and, and just like with the metal detector, if you get a ding, 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 you're going to be digging for the ring. Well, when we get the, the body, ding, 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 we stop. And we don't do or dig. We just stay, which is super hard because we have to exercise patience and we have to be, not do, which is super hard, especially <laughs> people like me. Um, but I've learned it. It's really good with horses. Not I'm getting there with humans. But um, 
you know, so we have to have patience while the tension diminishes. And there's I now now um, and and Sybil's out there. And so I can tell you, um, I can, I don't know if I ever told you this, Sybil, but I have a whole new understanding of what we have learned to do in the Masterson method when I took your kinesio taping class because you covered the anatomy and the biology of what was happening underneath the skin. Um, but we experientially were learning to stay and pause and create some of the same actions that the tape creates. Um, but then, and then we look for a release and you know, those are all sort of external list of things. The kind of touch that we use, um, there's different levels of touch from um, almost nothing or maybe nothing, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we just need to touch the tiny little hairs or maybe we need to come off, you know, a quarter of an inch or half of an inch or, you know, in some cases, you know, even more, but the game is the horse can't brace. And if the horse is bracing, no matter what that looks like, you're too much. So the game is to figure out how to correlate your contact or your request for movement such that you don't provoke either the flight or the brace. And the horse will tell you if you've got it right. Um, and so, you know, Jim came up with, first of all, air gap, but then, you know, because he didn't, the pressure, like, well, I don't know, what is like one pound per square inch? I don't even know. So he came up with these other food related items. So it's, you know, the amount that you could press on an egg yolk without popping it, the amount where you could press on a grape without squishing it, you know, similar, soft lime, hard lime. Most of the time, I'm here. And by most, I would say, I would say probably 80% of the time I'm here, five to 10% of the time I'm here. So 90% of the time I'm here. And every and once in a two, while. In the air gap and the egg yolk. Yep. Every once in a while, I'm, I'm moving into here because it's clear that that's what the horse's body wants. Um, but if, if for whatever reason it's not working, this is the deal. Less is more. So, so I have to say that you're sounding awfully Feldenkrais-like. because I Dr. have heard Feld that. Huh? I have heard that. Yeah, Dr. Feldenkrais coined less is more uh, back in the 50s and 60s. Um, and this whole idea of doing less as opposed to doing more. And, yeah. um, and the touches, you know, Linda Tellington Jones studied with Dr. Feldenkrais in the 70s. She took his training in San Francisco. And she has a, a touch rating using yeah. your uh, finger on your eyelid. But again, the, the similar idea of rating the, the pressure level, but yeah. basically going toward a lighter touch rather than a heavier touch is such a consistent thing that we're seeing in different yeah. modalities. So it's really great to, to it, see this here as it well. It is really great. And you know, on my, on my constant education and I'm trapped in my house, I just spent five days at the um, British Fascia Symposium online conference. And um, there has been some recent uh, uh, research that has come out that, that would give more of the scientific foundation for that. But um, it's also, I find it interesting that people, you know, in disparate places can come up with the same thing. He, he, he was standing in a barn, like working with horses, but he grew up most, uh, a, a big chunk of his time in Africa. And um, the orphan uh, primates, we won't go into why they're orphans, but anyway, the orphan primates got delivered to his family's home. And so he spent a lot of time with primates. And yeah, I need to understand how to have a conversation with the primate. Where did he grow up? What country? I can't tell you that. 
Not okay, because I'd have to tell you about because I don't know. <laughs> um, so we have a question while we have a little gap. Is how do you manage to do air gap on taller horses? My arms get tired so that I will change hands. Any problem with that and sta or standing on a block? Um, super fine to change hands. Um, you know, one of the beauties of the Masterson method is for those of us that are middle aged, that it um, it challenges our our sleepy you know neural tracks, and we have to learn more things. And it also challenges our not so um, vibrant physical bodies. So super okay to um, to switch hands um, because if you're if you've got one hand up and you have tension in your body, remember we're working with the nature of the horse. So if you have tension in your neck or your shoulder or your arms, the horse is going to be like, I know why I'm supposed to be tight in my right arm, but damn, okay, I'll do that too. So really good that you switch hands if you become fatigued on one side. Um, not so super good that you stand on a block for this kind of work because much like um, when you use surefoot pads, um, movement is useful to us. And um, so the short answer is you're going to get there, you're going to get stronger, and it's going to be easier for you to hold your hand up for longer and longer. It just takes time. <laughs> Um, so the kind of releases that we can see, we've got medium ones, we've got large ones. Nobody ever told me about this one. This one wasn't oh. on the list. So I put that one on the list. When I saw a horse do that, I was like, whoa, scared me, scared me to death. But, you know, the same kinds of things you're going to see with sure foot pads, you know, licking, chewing, this whole fussing or fidgeting. Um, we use this perhaps in a different way than, uh, again, I haven't been to one of your trainings, but I know that in, um, in using sure foot pads, the horse gets offered an opportunity and is given choice and including to walk off. Absolutely. What we know and the way we work and, um, is that horses don't want to feel their stuff. And so there's a degree of keeping them in the neighborhood. It would be sort of like if I'm at my therapist and we start getting to the hard part and I'm like, I gotta go. I, I need to go get a, like, uh, a chocolate shake. <laughs> the therapist is like, right, we're just getting to the hard part. And you, you have to feel it in order to let it go. And so we, we value the fussing and the fidgeting, but it doesn't mean stop. Yeah, and you know, I think Robin Hood has described it the best. She calls it domesticated flight. When they fuss and fidget and fool around, that they're, you know, they would love to flee. Like you say, I got to go, but they can't. They're, they're not allowed to for, in whatever way, you yeah. know? So yeah. I, I do agree with you that it's the, the nervous system reacting um, and trying to find a way out, but it can't really yeah. do it in well, the and, and I um, really appreciate what, what she's saying there. And, and for me, in my own practice, I sort of see a little split. Um, if there's a split up here that is a fussing and fidgeting, but if we looked actually more acutely, it's actually flight. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And if it's flight, then I don't have it correct because the game in Masterson is to be below the flight embrace response. So if it's, if it's, if I, when I do this, like I have this foot game that I play. So if I'm, at, and it's a, it's a T chart. And on the left side of the T chart is winning, on the right side of the T chart is losing. And so it, I don't want any, any little hash marks in the losing column. And if I ask a question of the horse's body, lateral flexion of the neck, 
lateral rocking behind or certain things we do asking you know at the shoulder and the thorax in the midst of that question if the horse backs away or barges at me so his feet move that's losing on the other hand if it's sort of indiscriminate fidgeting um and then it's then then it's good then it tells me you know i understand and that then i become empathetic and sympathetic but i don't stop because i know i'm below the brace response and the flight response and i just need to help you with my frontal lobe because yours is way smaller than mine um, to know that on the other side of the fidget is release it's reduction in tension. And so, so I, um, I check first to make sure that I'm not causing flight. And mm -hmm. if I'm not, then I kind of, uh, I'll, I'll be understanding with your fidget, but if it gets too like OCD, then I'll disrupt it. Cause all you're then trying to do is change the step and not want to deal with your step. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, you know, we, y'all, y'all had a chance to, to take a look at those things. Um, we, we know just like in humans, like everybody raise your hand. Who's got tension here between your head and your neck? Okay, lots of us. Who's got tension here? You know, okay, lots of us. <laughs> Mostly kind of up here. But certainly on the horse, perhaps on the horse, we get way more down here because they're not standing up, they're down. And there's this gravitational issue. We might send them leaping over stuff and then whoo, you know, that there's that, that's, you know, popping down there and the thoracic sling. We got, you know, lumbar, low back. This one kind of crosses over. Because we have mid and lumbar, and then we have hind end right here. We have the lumbosacral junction, so big. So we 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 know they collect in zones. When we teach, um, we've got techniques for here stuff we teach on the weekends, stuff we teach on the five day. We got techniques for here, there, there. Um, so so you break it uh, down to if you just go back for a second, because um, yeah. if somebody's just listening, we have people that just listen to the webinar and don't actually. Yeah. So we're talking about you're breaking it down into head pole atlas, yep. neck shoulder withers, yep. mid lumbar, and hind end. Exactly. And so you have different techniques for those specific areas. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, when, when you look at the list, you can go, oh, right. For, if I'm looking at the head pole atlas, right. Okay. I have a head up, a head down, and then an, a lateral cervical flexion. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Right. Because it's that stuff right there. You know, so, so Jim developed uh sort of zone specific uh body questions it, it, big picture we're going through just about every joint injunction certainly in the axial body we're going through every joint injunction and we're doing that then we're looking for tension and restriction how do we find it well first of all we use our hand and we look for the blinky thing but then we ask it to move and you develop a sense of what the original design specs for that part and how it ought to move. And so it, you can um, uh, experience over time whether or not the movement of this individual with that question on that day, how that part moves with what the original design specs in the book that was published about ponies ought to move. Um, or it doesn't and then you can also compare side to side you can say well y'all do really good on the left it's gonna be great you're gonna do good on the right and you show up and you're like what the heck yeah <laughs> because that part of the body goes says no we don't do that anymore <laughs> somebody and, really likes your drawing and wonders if it's available 
this actually um, was a compilation between me and my daughter. It is owned by Jim Masterson and part of the Masterson teaching program. Um, so it's totally so they available. have to go there to get it. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So this is just some uh, pictures. Um, here's a head up. Here's a scapula release. I'm using the leg, but that's just because it happens to be hanging out and attached to the, to the scapula. Because um, I really care about whether the scapula slips. You know, so there I'm doing scapula release forward. Here I'm doing scapula release. It's kind of um, diagonally back. Um, there, I can't see it, we all can. That's kind of diagonally forward. So, so we, we invite this, this zone right here to move and we ask, how do you move that away? How do you move that away? And then for the limb, we say, how do you move around the arc? And so then we're kind of asking questions here and we're asking, how do you slip there? Um, we have hot questions from below for the hind end. I really picked these, these um, body questions because there's a correlation between what we're doing here and a direct correlation with what the pads are. So there's lots of techniques, but I chose these pictures. Um, this is in Switzerland. I had the um, great opportunity to, um, I, I got to know uh, Martina and Sybil through Animal Rehab Institute when I I tend to wedge my foot in the door um, in places that probably I'm not authorized to go. Um, and so I was able to participate in the, um, in the training for, to become an animal rehab assistant. And in that program, I got to meet uh, just a super, super bunch of folks, including Martina, including Sybil. So here I'm teaching actually in Switzerland because Martina and I have become really close. Um, so there's a, a hind leg forward. Um, here's a hind leg forward. You can see that this kind of checking in is super common yeah. um, when you have feel. And um, it, that was actually a screen grab from a technique that's a real movement technique. Um, but, you know, here you can see in this one where I'm copying the pony, um, you know, he's got the leg, his hind left medially all the way across on the hind right. And he's just standing there looking at me. He's like in his zone and I was bored. So I decided <laughs> to copy him. <laughs> Um, so, you know, pivoting from the Masterson method to the surefoot pads, if we take a regional perspective, the way we teach the Masterson techniques, and we look at the functional bones and muscle groups that live in that region or are potentially connected to that region, then we can search for regional tension. And so I through Masterson and others who know it or have learned how to do it or want to learn how to do it, um, we can search for tension which is residing here um, in a similar way to where you can use your foot pads and directly you can see that this is the zone that goes and you know you've got varying amounts of squishiness or not squishiness and you got little wedgie pads these are both my, you know, all my clients. Um, the topic of, it'll come up later, but just to touch on it now, um, my perspective on whether um, techniques, you know what, I'm gonna deal with it later because it's a better slide. Um, but, but I do, in the right scenario, I do think from my own experience that it's okay to incorporate other modalities with a big fat proviso. Um, that you're super tuned into the horse and that the horse isn't getting cooked 
Um, but so there's front end uh, opportunity for similarity. Remember what we're doing is trying to um, uh, search for tension and restriction and then stay. And we need to be under the horse's brace response, which means the horse can't brace against us either while we're doing the work. And so your invention is genius because how do you brace against something below you that's squishy? It's super, super cool. And, you know, I don't incorporate it with every, every horse every time, but when I got to tell you, when I got a horsey who's like, dude, I mean, my quads are good now. <laughs> I don't actually need to be standing here holding you. Because in every question, every limb question, we have various elements. We have the amount of forward, and then we have the amount of down. And I kind of picture, it's kind of weird, but I kind of picture that there's little men on winches. And, and so in the perfect world, they would all be, you know, there would be some laxity. And there wouldn't be any of the dudes on winches who's, who's like over, you know, get, getting overtime and, you know, and, and super tight on that side. But that's not the real world. The real world is we have that whole list up top that was a bunch of slides ago and all the reasons why tension is created. And, and so the way we work in Masterson is we search for it and then we find it and then we got to hang around. We got to hang around and we got to wait. And so if forward is too far forward, that's super simple. I can just ask less forward, like duh. But if down is too far down, mm. well, that means I got to hold it. <laughs> or I got to put something underneath it. And we will definitely, we will often, you know, build stuff up. But, you know, I got to tell you, when I got my bag of those and down is too far down, guess what? <laughs> I'm sticking, I'm offering the opportunity. Now, if they can't take it and if they don't want to stand on it, well, fine. You can tell this horsey. This horse was like big, happy, happy, happy. So the same is true behind. You know, we have we have these techniques where we where we look for the really what we're doing when we're asking these leg questions is we're asking, can I be all the dudes on winches? Can I do the job of everybody who's working hard to support everything that's attached? Can I do the job? And so you know, here, Jim is doing the job for everybody up above. But again, we could use squishy things that this wonderful lady, Wendy, invented. Um, so uh, just to go back one sec on like this one, okay? These are regional tension accumulation zones. And Martina was here two weeks ago-ish mm -hmm. yep. and brought up the topic of fascial trains. And so I'm asking, what about fascia? What about fascial connection? What about fascial trains? What about tension migration? So here's some dude, I don't know who it is, copyright slobberman, I don't know what that says, but it's out there on the internet and I grabbed it. And fascial tension is different for everybody, but the guy's saying the same thing. My back's killing me, my back's killing me, my back's killing me, my back's killing me, and my knee too. And so wherever the source of the problem is, well, there's two things. Wherever the body's screaming, uh, probably that's not where it actually started. Um, but anyway, wherever it's screaming, that may also not be the dude who's too tight on the winch. And, and so, you know, for this guy, it's up here. And for this guy, it's here and then down here. And this guy, it's over here and over there. And this guy, it's over here and over there. And, um, 
So, you know, we don't have time to go into fascia. Here's the bottom line. It's the stuff that envelops everything and connects everything to everything else. <laughs> you know, that's the tangious definition. Here's like folks, and I gotta tell you, it is a study all its own and it's super interesting. And, you know, after I became a hyoid apparatus freak, I became a fascia freak. I continue to be a freak about both of those topics, but this one is super amazing, which of course I just spent five days learning more about it. But, you know, um, for us doing the body work, I, when I teach, I regularly say, wherever you are, you're everywhere else. So the application of that in the context of the Masterson method is we have to be under the brace response. So if I encounter tension and restriction and I say, oh, I'll go right there. And I begin to ask the question and the horse is like, I gotta go. And I fix myself and I'm soft and I'm patient and the horse is still like, I gotta go. I should just stop if I have checked myself and I really should go somewhere else because maybe it is, maybe the best thing I can do is go somewhere else and I can know that wherever I am, I'm everywhere else. And um, the, the thing is, is injury and improper movement, what is, the, what, what is the impact it has on fascia? Well, fascia will begin to bind together, which means that muscles will be prevented from moving freely against each other which is gonna to lead to stiffness and tightness that limits normal range of motion and preventing freedom of movement. And the thing is, is there, are, I call them freeways. Everybody has a different name, fascial, fascial lines, fascial planes, fascial trains, fascial freeway, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, the restrictions migrate, just like we saw in those, you know, like skeletal dudes. And you know, you it's I just, I just, I can't wait for you to start looking into the Feldenkrais method because Dr. Feldenkrais would always talk about go as far away from the injury as possible. So if it was, somebody's head, you'd go to their foot yeah, and work there so that you didn't cause the nervous system to react and yeah. to become defensive. And, you know, there's so, but this is what I love when you know you're on the right track because you start hearing these similar archetypal ideas coming yeah. from all these different directions. It's yeah. really, it's just great. Yeah. Well, and what Jim um, came up with and now we all teach is that you need to start where it's easiest. Mm-hmm. So there's a general order of work that we have, but the horsey gets a vote and the horsey's body gets a vote. And if the rule book says, y'all should start on the left front, but the horse's body says, yeah, that's not the place for me today. Yeah. <laughs> then you need and to that, look at the That's one of the tenants in the surefoot pads is, you know, you might have an idea of where you think the horse wants a pad, but you got to ask the horse which foot he wants the pad underneath. Yeah. And that's the principle that we use when we ask for movement and we have to be under the brace response. Um, so this guy is a human guy and he came up with human fascial trains and he, he was started out with Ida Rolfs and then, you know, he's got a pedigree a mile long. And um, Feldenkrais. But, he worked with Dr. Feldenkrais. Okay. Well, yep. he, you know, we, we humans, I think have really tiny brains. And so, um, we might be super smart and have a super big frontal lobe, but we have really tiny brains. And so we deconstruct and we, and we take a whole body that has, you know, from the outside and we're like, well, what's it made up of? And we deconstruct it. And so we say, well, you know, there's a skeleton and all these little bones and they each have names and, and then there's muscles and they go from here to here. And, and, they, and that's, that's the only thing. They go from here to here and there's tendons and ligaments and they go from here to here. Well, then, you know, Tom comes along and says, hmm, well, what if I dissect and I have a couple of different rules? I follow the, the grain of the muscle and I keep following it and I don't stop. And I don't go down a plane. 
I just keep going. And so his dissection protocol resulted in the ability for him to, to determine, he believes, and lots of folks teach, including him, is that there's something called the superficial back line and the superficial front line. And if we go look at Ponyland, then two Danish veterinarians, Dr. Vivica Elbrand and Dr. Rika Schultz, said, hey, well, what if we use Tom Meyer's dissection protocol and we apply it to the horse? And I, they either did it in 21 or 26 horses, I don't recall. It was, here's the reference down here, 2015, I think it was, is the, is the paper they put up. Um, and that results in the superficial dorsal line, which, hey, guess what, Dr. Um, Dr. Martina was talking about that a week ago. Now this particular image was put together by Pamela Eckelberger um, in her work with um, Dr. Carrie Ridgway. And the result was, you know, she took it even more after the sad event when he died. She um, will be but, my guest next week. What? She will be my guest next week uh, in the webinars. Yeah, super, super interesting. But Martina was talking about how um, issues in the feet can connect up here. And way back when, when I was talking, I don't know, 45 minutes ago, I was talking about the topics, you know, teeth, toes, tap, toes, 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 toes. Well, why do toes affect the pole? Well, I guess like, <laughs> because it's attached. <laughs> if we have the ventral line in humans, it's similar to this. Um, so, you know, if we think about, there are more lines. But going back, actually, that question that um, Sybil asked a long time ago, well, guess what? It kind of looked like a this. <laughs> that dorsal spinous process was poking out that away. Do I know for sure? No. But this is normal. This is with the dorsal spinous process sticking straight up. And this red here is the serratus ventralis. And the blue is the pectoralis muscles. Well, if any of these dudes on winches over here are too tight, and that little guy up there is too tight, then we get this. And, or the opposite, it goes like that. And like this one, look at this, you know, I wonder if that horse had um, that, that picture from so long ago when we were talking, um, if he had a, 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 double, a double girth fillet and it was too tight over here. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we can, there are things we can do as humans where, you know, we're trying to jump on our bicycle and <laughs> the pony bicycle and we don't think. So why was that horse that way? Not sure, but it could be something like this. But, you know, if I think about the regional circle that we had over the scapulas, and then I say, well, but wait, where's my pointer? But wait, what about this scapula right here? What if it wasn't, what if the issue that was happening right here had nothing to do with these muscles. And it really didn't have anything to do with these muscles. What if it had to do with something that was happening up in the hyoid apparatus? Because there's a muscle called the omohyoid, and it runs from the lingual process of the, ap the hyoid apparatus, this little part right here, which the tongue attaches to, mm -hmm. is also where that guy goes. And where's that? That's underneath your shoulder. Guess what? Right there. Um, and if it's not the right line, but if we were to look back, there's a different line that correlates with this. But we can kind of get a proxy if we look at that and go, guess what? It goes all the way back. So maybe the issue at the shoulder when I ask, for example, how do you go down and back? 
Maybe the issue isn't right here. Maybe the issue is up here. And tension and torque that's happening here, maybe because of rider hands, maybe because, I don't know, this is like a swing thing. I love the hyoid apparatus. For me, I think it's the center of the universe. Um, but, but it's like a swing. And if your swing is wonky, and it's, you know, the, the lingual process has pointed that away, what's that going to do? Well, you know, anyway, I could go on forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and Jillian Kreinbring is going to be my guest on Monday, and I'm sure she will talk a lot about the hyoid. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, I guess the point I wanted to make is that, you know, way back here, we were talking about regional, having a regional perspective, which is super good and super important, and the dudes on winches could be right here. Yep. But it could be that if we stopped our notion to deconstruct and we began to reconstruct and we looked at, well, what's the vector of muscles that go this away? And then after they go this away, uh, what all do they connect to? These are only two of the lines. Right. Um, there are many lines. And so we can end up with you know tension and restriction patterns that we don't know why they are which is why we need to be humble we can we can take in the information we can inquire respectfully and thoughtfully we can you know think we're brainiacs and that we know exactly where the problem is and exactly what the solution is but we need to be humble and and have a conversation with the horse which is what i super love about um the sherpa pads and i super love that the horse's body um, gets time. Um, I thought I had a slide in here about um, that integrating, but I didn't. And so the thing that is um, really important, and I think what Martina um, most was focused on, is that we need to make sure that the horse's um, the horse's body doesn't get overstimulated. Mm -hmm. um, no matter what we do, um, it, whether it's a single technique or a combination of techniques, um, whether it's a single technique, even for a short amount of time, a horse can get cooked. I, I, I have had horses get cooked on a short amount of time. You've had horses where they're like, oh, touch and go, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I keep trying to remind people that the very first horse I put on pads, I timed for 15 seconds yeah. and the horse completely changed. And so yeah. it's just, you. And, you know, I tell people this can happen fast, but until you realize it's that fast, you know, you experience that, it's hard to believe. Well, it is unbelievable. It's really, I mean, shut up. How can that be? You know, and that's the way, you know, I, 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 I mean that with all due respect to myself because, I, you know, my puny little mind was like, oh, that can't be true. Um, but in the same way that, you know, Desart said, you know, if, it, if you can't see it, it's not real. Well, you know, until I shined my thermal imaging camera at that horse's back, I had no idea. Because that horse, even when I palpated it, you know, the other thing that I didn't get a chance to make a slide about, you know, it's all too, there's just not enough time. Um, we learn how to discern whether an issue is new, mm. in transition, or old. Because when it's new and you palpate it, you get, a, you get an extreme reaction. When it's in, but there hasn't, the body hasn't had a chance to stitch together and the fascia hasn't had a chance for the, the fluid to begin, you know, becoming all dry. And so when you get that transition where you get stickiness, you're going to end up with both a reaction and a restriction in the movement. 
And then over a time, you go palpate it and they're like, I'm good, I got nothing. Well, it's not because they got nothing. It's because, you know, like if you had a shoe that didn't fit you, first you'd have a sore spot, then it would be red, then you'd get a blister. And if you have to keep using it, pretty soon it would be a callus. Is the problem that your shoe's too tight? Go away. No. The body just, they, they built up a stitching to it. And so we can find, you know, if I palpate a horse, he's like, I'm good, I got nothing. And then, and then I go through and I say, okay, good. Well, then y'all ought to be able to move just fine. All your parts ought to move just fine. I'm like, no, no, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well then, I guess it's old. I guess it's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. And your body does have issues. But, you know, it's super cool to be able to be part of a team of people. And I guess that is the one message I would, I would leave you with. And I, I believe, you know, Dr. Sybil talked about it a couple of days ago that, um, you know, we, we, we can knit together um, different professions. We should knit together different professions, different knowledges, different perspectives, different tools, but they need to, you know, the vet needs to be, you know, at the front of the road. Um, and then everybody, particularly anybody who's working with a horse, doesn't matter the modality, doesn't matter what they're doing. Um, they need to give voice to the horse and we need to understand what that body communication list is that says, I'm out. So get your hands off me, get your feet out front, your pads out from underneath my feet. So um, um, just somebody's asked a question and I think what I'll do is I'll rephrase that question. It's from Sybil. How, like in your experience, how have you been using the Surefoot pads in terms of before, during, or after? Um, and just average duration, not, I know every horse is different, but yeah. um, just give it, can you give us an example? Yeah. And you know, it, it would be like, I'll reach in a bucket and pull one out and that'll be my answer because there are, <laughs> there are a variety of answers and it kind of depends, you know, Sybil, you were like hammered it into me that we, we need to really take inventory. We need to get the backstory. We need to get the front story. We need to see how they're moving. And, um, and so I will go through the process that I've been taught actually processes because in the real world I use Masterson as my foundation but I have so many other things that I weave into it and so um, it may be that I will use it um, I'm going to use a word that I'm not supposed to use I'm not using it to diagnose but I'll use it diagnostically I might sometimes stick it under something where I'm like huh I wonder how you feel about that and I'll just stick it under there to see what they do and if they go oh that's really good then I'll actually take it away and I go, okay, that was good. Cause I was just looking for information about whether the, you know, the dudes on winches just needed somebody to take over the job. Um, in that situation, if I use it and the horse like jumps off of it, then I go, uh-huh. Okay. Well you got tension and restriction. Like it's really acute here, but you might really have a lot of different areas. So sometimes I'll actually incorporate it into my, um, my initial assessment. And I'll use it as a, I wonder what you'll do with here. I have developed some ideas. I wonder what your body has to say. And so I'll, I'll use it as a question to inform what I'm thinking. So that's one use case. Another use case I kind of already talked about where the dudes on winches are like, they just need somebody to stand there a whole lot longer. And I'm sorry, but my legs, you know, I don't need another fitness program at the moment. And so I'm like, good. Okay, how do you feel about standing on that? And I was like, oh, dude, good. I'm like, okay, really good. Because now I can just stand here and watch it for a minute. Um, uh, with the Masterson method and my own perspective, whether I'm using it pure or I'm bringing in other modalities, I'm a whole horse, a whole body worker. I, 
almost never do a rifle shot treatment at one part of the body because I almost 100% of the time I'm going to be wrong about where the it is. It's probably somewhere else. And so I manage my time in, in addition to monitoring the horse's um, status. And I don't want to run out of the horse before my clock runs out. And so um, I don't use a long time. There are times when I will choose to use one piece of one modality that I have. Like I might choose, I might decide, like there's a horse that I didn't include a picture of and she was, okay, well, we're not gonna say her name. So I'm just gonna say, she was like a triple train wreck. I mean, she was a disaster. Um, and I really felt like there were two things that I could do for her to, to begin the process of, of relie relieving and releasing tension. And one of them was short foot pads for a small amount of time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and her primary zone of issue where it was screaming was the right hind. And so I was like, well, let me try the right hind. Well, that was dumb. Um, because, um, you know, the issue was on the right. And so, you know, her left butt cheek was probably burning. Um, so, um, you know, I'm like, okay, well, that was wrong. Um, and so I put her into the left. Well, guess what? That was wrong too. Um, because what she was really doing is pitching forward. And, and so to relieve the hind, I needed to go front. So, so it, I, I ended up offering her one and I was like spinning and do, do you want the wedge? You know, which way do you want it? You want, you know, you want to put on and off. Um, so I really do have a conversation with everything, every tool that I have, including surefoots. Um, I would say the longest I have ever had a horse on pads is probably max five minutes. Yeah. Um, sometimes, like, it's crazy that the touch and go works, but guess what? When guys are pilots and they're learning to fly, guess what they do? And learning to land, guess what? They do touch and goes. There is value to touch and goes. And we, with our little, little human minds, it's hard for us to believe that, that there can be that profound of an impact, but there really can. And so I believe it now. And I'm, you know, if they're like, okay, I'm good. And it was like, you know, 12 seconds. I'm like, okay, good. I am too. So we'll drive on. Okay. So I think, I think if we're going to say your answer to that question is it really depends. It depends on what you're doing, what the circumstances are. And it's really about making sure that you keep asking questions and yes. listening to responses. Yep. So, so our last question, and uh, this is from Sybil, um, and she's asking, um, from a practical perspective, since you are releasing tensions that are probably components of comp compensation patterns, what is your su suggestion of time to wait between the treatment and the horse working ridden or not? Um, we know that sometimes removing compensations and working the horse too soon <coughs> might predispose to some injuries. So I think what, you know, it's a question of you do something and then how long before you actually can go back to work? Well, um, yeah, and I actually hear sort of a two-part answer there because, you know, the, the tough news for the green um, uh, body worker is that sometimes when we remove the tension, we unearth the problem. Mm -hmm. And the horse which walked out sound is crippled and you didn't make it cripple you revealed that it was crippled um and so you know that can happen um but and that can it, happen with your foot pads too absolutely yeah, abso absolutely because you know they've stitched it together and now you like loosen up the stitching and you know the dude on winches and like the whole thing falls apart yep. um which is a good thing because the oh, you have to help the owner get there because now the vet can come in and they know you know the horse Remember, 
concealment. Conceal. I have one story if we have time, which is like the epic of, of concealment. But, um, you know, the other part of her question is what, you know, how long should the horse have? Like in the perfect world, my clients don't get this, but in the perfect world, you know, they would have 24 to 48 hours to sort of assimilate or not whatever you just helped the body to experience. And, you know, the dude on winch who was way too tight and just needed to have a cerveza and just relax a little bit. And, and it, was a, it was a habitual but unuseful and unnecessary tension pattern. Well, the horses, un until it gets to go out and move and ideally move in big open spaces yeah. with lots of different kinds. I mean, here's the perfect world. Like, who has that? They get to move in open world, big open spaces, up and down, you know, run if they want to. And it's, you know, they're, they're feeling like, oh, my leg doesn't work that way. And they're like, oh, well, guess what? Oh, well, imagine that. It does. Um, so, you know, that perfect world, you know, 24 to 48 hours after a treatment. The real world that my horses live in, you know, I squeeze in between their competition down at, at, at Winter Equestrian Festival. Um, but those horses are getting it regularly. I know every one of those horses. I know what's going to happen. And I also know what their performance schedule is. So, you know, you, you have to understand that the body is going to, it's a little bit like cooking in the microwave. You know, they tell you cook for two minutes, but then wait for a minute. Well, why is that? Because it keeps cooking. <laughs> the body keeps cooking too. Yeah. And, and so this is where, you know, like I always tell people with Surefoot that to keep the first sessions really short, because super. you don't know how the horse is going to respond over Absolutely. the time. And you're, you can't undo what you've done, but you can do a little bit and then do a little more. Yeah. Um, and well, so <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, the body, it actually may need that tension. There's a student going through and I'm mentoring her and she described, you know, she's like, can I use this horse? And she described, I'm like, well, you know, that, that, that horse has got a lot of stuff going on and maybe, but go interview it. And here's the deal. You need to be really having your eyeballs open and you need to really be having your senses open because it may be that the last thing you should do is remove tension and restriction because that horse may need it. Right. And so, you know, um, when we're working, you know, Jim's premise is that we, that we want to make a little improvement. And I hear you saying with your sure foot pads, we want to make a little improvement, mm -hmm. which is counter, especially to, you know, you and I probably are those A-type personalities where, you know, we don't want to take just like a little tiny saw. We want to get the big sledgehammer. We want to like whack it out. Um, that is not productive. And um, so, you know, um, the, you know, the big picture answer to Sybil is you need to, again, you need to understand the program. You need to understand the what, the, what the horse's job is. When is it going to be compelled to do that job again? Whether or not you tell them to, to take a break. Um, and so, you know, I might dial down what I'd really like to do. I have had a number of cl horse clients where, God, what I, what I prayed for, for them was to just get a couple of days off so I could really, really invest in a dialogue and a conversation and get to the core. But neither the horse nor I had that luxury or opportunity. And you know, so then you need to dial down. That's one of the things that this pandemic has actually offered. I know there are a lot of people that got stuck down in Florida and because they're not showing, they're actually taking the time to, to do the rehab that the horses really, really need. So there are benefits that are coming out of this because a lot oh, of these yeah. horses, you know, they're on such a tight schedule that they, you can't do what they 
you know, really kind of take, take it down to the, to the bare walls. Yeah. But given this opportunity without the show competition that people are able to do that. And I think we're going to see a lot of performance horses that come out better for it. Oh, uh, you know, without question, uh, you can like remove that sync word <laughs> without question, um, you know, because their bodies have had a chance to relax, you know, rest yeah. and digest and, and relax. And the dudes on winches have been drinking cerveza. So, you know, they've all, been, they've all been relaxing, which isn't to say that, you know, uh, you know, habitual compensatory patterns, which are not functional, they're not providing a purpose, but they're, but they're habitual, you know, those are going to stay until somebody comes along with whatever treatment knowledge and ability they have to go y'all can just go yeah. you're not needed anymore you know you don't need to be wonky and crooked we're all just going to straighten you up and like oh damn you we don't do that anymore i'm like yeah you do yeah oh, okay we do well becky this has been a really fascinating webinar and i i've had a lot of comments people coming in and just saying they're just really loving this so i hope you'll come back and we'll do this again sometime Sure. Obviously, I have no problem talking. Yeah, none, none whatsoever. And um, so I would just want to thank you for being my guest and thank you everybody for tuning in. Um, tomorrow is the Surefoot Equine webinar. I'll talk about ways to use Surefoot. You can ask questions. It's a little uh, more informal. Um, it's just me. And um, next week, we have a great lineup. I have Yogi Sharp. I have Jillian Kreinbring. I have Pamela. So I'm really looking forward to continuing these webinars. Um, you can find all of them on my Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And if you want to get the email with all the links to the webinars so that you can register in advance, just go to my website, murdochmethod.com, and join my email list. I put out that email every weekend, and it has all the links, so it's one-stop shopping to join the webinars. Um, thank you again. Thanks so much for having me, Wendy. I'm so honored to have been here and to be included in your list. It's thank a blast. You. It's a really blast. And I know I'm going to have to have you back because there's so much more to dig into here. So. Oh, yeah. Well, just send me skittering in a direction and I'll come back with too much to say. Awesome. All right. Well, someday I'll meet you in person. That'll be really fun. Yep. Sounds yep. good. All right. Thanks, everybody. And bye. bye.